We're going to be looking at John's Gospel this morning, but before we read from John's Gospel, I want to mention something we are told in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew tells us about Jesus being tempted by the devil. The devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. All this I will give you, says the devil, if you will bow down and worship me. And Matthew tells us that Jesus rejects the devil's offer. Jesus has no interest in having the kingdoms of this world. And the reason is, Jesus is king of a different kingdom, a greater kingdom that is not of this world. And that's what we're going to see as we turn now to John's gospel, where Jesus explains, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is infinitely greater than any kingdom of this world. And the beauty of what we're going to see is, Jesus has opened the way for you and me to join him in his infinitely greater kingdom. We're going to read from John chapter 18. If you're using a church Bible, you'll find that on page 1086, and in the larger print Bibles, 1682. We'll begin just after where we left off last week, so chapter 18, verse 28, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter in verse 40. In the first part of John 18, Jesus has been arrested. He has been brought to Annas, the Jewish high priest. Then he's been handed over to Caiaphas, who was the high priest appointed by the Romans. And we read in verse 28, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So, Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If you were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves, and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. 
Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is God's word. And it shows us Jesus' kingdom is the kingdom of salvation from another world. And Jesus' Jesus' kingdom is the kingdom of truth from another world. First, in verses 28 to 32, Jesus' kingdom is the kingdom of salvation from another world. We noticed last week, although Annas was still considered by the Jews to be the high priest of Israel, the Romans had replaced him with his son-in-law, Caiaphas. And it is from Caiaphas that the leaders of the Jews take Jesus to the palace of the Roman governor, Pilate. Verse 38 says they go early in the morning, about 6 a.m., which wouldn't have been unusual. Apparently, Roman officials started work very early, and they were often finished their day's work before lunchtime. And verse 38 also flags up something the Jewish leaders are very concerned about. They want to avoid ceremonial uncleanness so they can eat the Passover. That reminds us all of this is going on at Passover time in Jerusalem. Passover itself was followed by a seven-day festival, and the Jewish leaders don't want to miss any of that by being ceremonially unclean. That would bar them from taking part in this most important religious event. And so, verse 30, it says, they refused to enter the palace of the Roman governor. Why? Well, because a Jew who entered the home of a Gentile became temporarily unclean. Now, under normal circumstances, that wasn't really a big deal. If a Jew had to do business with a Gentile, he would go ahead and do the business, and then he would go through the cleansing procedure to regain ritual purity. It wasn't a big deal. But, as John points out, becoming ritually unclean during Passover was a big deal for the Jews. Because the cleansing procedure took time, and they would miss the Passover celebrations. That is something they are not willing to do. That's why we end up with this bizarre spectacle of the Roman governor Pilate popping in and out of his palace to talk to Jesus inside, then go back out to the Jewish leaders to carry on the negotiations with them. In this passage and the next one, Pilate is like a -a jack-in-a-box. And if we wonder why a proud Roman like Pilate would bend to the Jews' wishes like that, all we have to do is realize Jerusalem is rammed with people, making the possibility of riots a lot higher than usual. And so Pilate is willing to give up a good bit of his dignity to try and avoid offending the Jews. But just think for a moment about the stance the Jewish leaders are taking here. The Passover festival is incredibly important to them. 
It's the high point of the Jewish calendar. It commemorates the most significant event in their long history. The great day of God's salvation. The day God delivered their ancestors from slavery and oppression in Egypt. How did that deliverance come about? Well, God commanded the Israelites to take a lamb or a goat without defect and slaughter it. That perfect spotless lamb would bring about their salvation. When God's destroying angel came to bring judgment on Egypt, those who sheltered under the lamb's blood would be saved. God's judgment would pass over those people. That's how it played out in Egypt, generations before this. And from then on, that great salvation was celebrated each year in Israel. And here, the leaders of the Jews want to join in that celebration. They don't want to miss it. And so they keep themselves from defilement by staying outside Pilate's palace. And they pressure Pilate to get rid of this guy Jesus so they can get back to the celebration of God's salvation. Can you see how messed up this is? In chapter 1, Jesus has been described as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the true Passover Lamb, sent from another world to bring God's eternal salvation to this world. Jesus is the one all the other lambs were pointing to. They were just preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus is the reality that was foreshadowed in those sacrificial animals. Jesus is the one who was foreshadowed in the Passover festival itself. And now that Jesus has arrived, the festival that foreshadowed him has become obsolete. But these religious people are rejecting Jesus while clinging to the festival that points to him. Not only that, at the same time, they're making so sure that they stay ritually clean. At the same time as they're doing that, they are perverting justice in order to have Jesus killed. Look at that in verse 29. Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. We've said that Pilate is willing to bend quite a bit to accommodate the Jews and to keep the city peaceful. But he is still a Roman. It is still his duty to go about things in a fair and just manner. And so he asked the Jewish leaders what charges they're bringing against Jesus. It's a perfectly reasonable question for Pilate to ask. But the Jewish leaders have not come to see Jesus given a fair trial. They have come to get Pilate's signature on their death warrant for Jesus. As they point out, they have no right to carry out their own executions. 
So they try to fob Pilate off in verse 30. If he wasn't a criminal, literally, if he wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. In other words, Pilate, just take our word for it. Jesus is guilty. Don't fiddle around with this. Don't look into it too much. Don't hold up our process by asking silly questions about what Jesus is guilty of. Just believe us when we tell you he deserves it. Now, there may well be another reason the Jews want the Romans to kill Jesus. Apart from the fact they have no official right to do it themselves. The Jewish leaders know Jesus has a reasonable following in Israel. They know plenty of people are quite taken with Jesus. They think highly of him. But every Israelite knew what the Old Testament law said. Anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. That was stated in the book of Deuteronomy. And so, since the Romans' preferred method of execution was crucifixion, literally hanging a person on a pole, if the Jewish leaders can get Pilate to crucify Jesus, then everyone in Israel will know Jesus couldn't have been a good man. He was obviously under God's curse. Those who thought highly of Jesus will drop their high thoughts of him. And there'll be no backlash against his death. End of story. Now we know the Jewish leaders are conducting a massive injustice. Throughout John's gospel, we've been able to take a very close look at Jesus' life. It was a life without sin. It was a pure and spotless life. Just as every Passover lamb had to be without defect, so Jesus himself really was without defect. Not just in a physical sense, but primarily in a moral sense. He was sinless. And yet, the manner of his death will proclaim to him to be, in front of everyone, the scum of the earth. A low life. He will be crucified publicly as an evildoer. And the law of Israel can't be avoided. The law passed its judgment on Jesus. His death on a pole will display the fact that he dies under God's curse. One writer sums it up for us. He who lived as the Holy One dies as the condemned one. The one perfect life this world has ever seen will end in disgrace, cut off from God as an evildoer. Is that unfair? Are the Jewish leaders guilty for demanding the death of the spotless Lamb of God? Is Pilate guilty for agreeing to condemn an innocent man as if he was the worst of men? Yes, they're all guilty. Their intentions are evil. Their deeds are evil. 
And at the same time, was this God's plan all along? To bring eternal salvation through the death of the perfect lamb? The lamb sent from another world? Sent from heaven itself? Was it God's plan all along to deliver men and women from God's curse by transferring the curse to his son Jesus? Yes, it was God's plan. Verse 32 reminds us, Jesus said he would be crucified, lifted up on a pole. Verse 32 is referring to statements Jesus made earlier in John's gospel. So at the very same time, at one and the same time, Jesus' death will be the result of human injustice and it will be the fulfillment of Jesus' mission to take human sin and its punishment onto himself. It will be the saving work of the Lamb of God. This is salvation from another world. No one from this world could engineer a salvation like this. This is the work of God. To take the evil and injustice of humanity and fashion it into salvation for humanity. To take the rebellious efforts of human powers and make them serve his greater saving power. And the beautiful thing is, you and I can share in this salvation from another world. We who are from this world, we who belong to it, we who've played our part in its evil and injustice, we can receive and enjoy this salvation. When you and I turn away from trying to clean ourselves up and make ourselves pure, when we look instead to Jesus, the pure, spotless Lamb, when we do that, we find our evil and sin has been paid for. Because Jesus took it on himself on the cross. As we rely on the spotless one who died under God's curse, we come to share in his spotlessness ourselves. His holiness and His righteousness are given to us. We receive what we could never earn or engineer by ourselves. We receive a gift from another world. From the world of God Himself. Back in the world of the Jewish leaders... They want Jesus killed because they believe he's a blasphemer, because he claimed to be the Son of God. But they know that Pilate is not going to care about that. What Pilate's interested in is potential threats to Rome, political issues. And so, now that Pilate's demanding to know what charge they're bringing against Jesus, they go for the political angle. He's claiming to be king of the Jews. Surely Pilate will have to take that seriously as a threat to Rome. 
And so Pilate dutifully goes back inside to Jesus and asks him in verse 33, Are you the king of the Jews? Look at Jesus' reply in verse 34. Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus says that his kingdom is the kingdom of truth from another world. Jesus doesn't deny that he's a king or that he has a kingdom. But what he does is, first of all, he says what his kingdom is not, and then what it is. First, in verse 36, Jesus says what his kingdom is not. And by kingdom here, we're not talking about a certain territory on the map. We're talking about his reign, his kingship. Jesus says his reign, his kingdom, is not like any earthly kingdom. For one thing, his kingdom is not established, it's not maintained by force and violence, like many earthly kingdoms are or have been. Jesus says, if that was how my kingdom was established and maintained, then my servants would fight. Last week we saw one of Jesus' followers try to fight, because he imagined that Jesus' kingdom was just like any earthly kingdom. But when Peter drew his sword in the garden and drew blood with his sword, what did Jesus do? Jesus rebuked Peter and told him to put his sword away. So within the last few hours, Jesus has given proof that his kingdom is not about force and violence. His kingdom is no rival to Rome in a political sense. Jesus' kingdom is based on a different kind of power. It is based on the power of truth. You can see that in verse 37. Pilate says, you are a king then. And in the NIV, Jesus' response has been translated as, you say that I am a king. But in fact, Jesus is doing more than just repeating what Pilate said. He is agreeing with Pilate. We could translate it, you're right in saying I'm a king. Or, as you say, yes, I'm a king. And then having said what his kingdom is not, Jesus says what it is. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus' kingdom is the kingdom of truth from another world. His reign is a reign of divine truth. It's not a reign of political or military force. And those who enter his kingdom enter it by receiving the truth. And his kingdom spreads not by military conquest or political domination, 
His kingdom spreads as his truth conquers human hearts. So what exactly does Jesus mean when he talks about truth? Well, we might get a grasp of what he's talking about if we use the word reality. He came into the world to show us reality. To testify to reality. The reality of who God is. The eternal, perfect one. The reality of who we are. Rebels who stand condemned for our rebellion. Men and women who are not free, not the captains of our own souls as we might imagine ourselves to be. Jesus came to expose that myth. He came to discredit that lie. He came to show us the reality of our slavery. And Jesus came to show us the reality of who he is. In his own words, he is the way and the truth and the life. The only way to the Father. The only way out of our slavery. And Jesus came to show us the reality of God's salvation. That through his own death, he opened the way for us to be delivered from our sin and reconciled to Almighty God. Not just given a certificate that says we're forgiven, but actually welcomed into relationship with God. That is reality. That's the truth that has been delivered to us from another world. Jesus' whole life and ministry has been a testimony to that truth. And Jesus will soon complete that testimony by his death on the cross and his resurrection and his return to his Father in heaven. Someone has rightly said Jesus is both the messenger and the message of truth. He tells us the truth, he's the messenger, and he is also the message. Because in his own body, he accomplishes the truth. Dying under God's condemnation to reconcile us to God. He is the messenger and also the message. Now this world can dream up lots of things. It can dream up the idea of human beings who save themselves by climbing up to God. This world can dream up the idea of strong gods who throw lightning bolts from a distance at human beings. But a God who would step down into this world that has rejected him? A God who would step down not to destroy, but to submit himself to an unjust death to save the guilty. A God who bleeds for his wayward creation. That's not a truth we could dream up for ourselves. This is truth from another world. It is truth from God himself. 
And as the church of Jesus Christ, our calling is to testify to this truth. We are to represent, in our own time and our own situation, we are to represent Jesus and the reality he revealed. In his words, in his life, death, and resurrection. So yes, as Christians, we may be involved in all sorts of different things. We may get ourselves involved in struggles for justice of one kind or another. We may put our weight behind political and social causes. It is right that as Christians we support good government and we seek to change bad government. It's right that we speak up for the vulnerable. It's right that we work for what helps to improve the state of this world and its well-being. And for some of us, that will include serving in the police or the military. It may include serving in humanitarian organizations. We do not belong to this world, but there are lots and lots of ways we can and we should seek the good of this world. Whatever job we do, there are ways we can do good. All of that is true. But, as the church of Jesus Christ, the greatest way we seek the good of this world, and our primary focus, is to testify to the truth. The reality revealed in Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus came. And as his people, testifying to the truth revealed in Jesus is our mission. So we might be involved in political things and social things. There are times and situations when we should be involved in those things. But our mission is testifying to the truth. That is how we serve Christ's kingdom. That is how Christ's kingdom advances. It's not through governments. It's not through armies. It's not through social movements. It is through our testimony to the truth. And when the church loses sight of that mission, it ceases to be the church. It becomes just a social organization. Or it becomes an arm of the government. Or alternatively, an agitator against the government. Our calling is to testify to the truth. And we need to realize it is truth that many are not going to listen to or accept. You can see that here in verse 38. In Pilate's response to Jesus, he says, what is truth? And when Pilate says that, it is unlikely he's questioning the existence of truth. Pilate is not an amateur philosopher stroking his long gray beard. No, it is much more likely Pilate is just so steeped in compromise and political webs 
that Pilate can hardly believe in his cynicism that one man could cut through all of the lies and all of the half-truths and all of the compromises. Pilate can hardly believe that one man could cut through that and lead him into clear reality. Could there really be a truth that sets Pilate free? Pilate decides not. It's too good to be true. He turns away from the reality Jesus could open up to him. But what Pilate has become convinced of is that Jesus is no political revolutionary. Pilate knows about those kind of people. He has one of them in his custody already, as we'll see in a moment. Pilate can see very quickly Jesus has no ambitions to overthrow Rome or take Caesar's place. So Pilate goes back to the Jewish leaders and he says in verse 38, I find no basis for a charge against him. By rights, Pilate should send the Jewish leaders packing at this point. He knows they have no case. But, as we've seen earlier, he doesn't want to provoke these people. Not with the city so crammed full. So he offers them a way out in verse 39. There is a custom where, as a gesture of goodwill, the Romans release a prisoner at Passover time. So the Jewish leaders could take that way out. They could save face. They could admit, okay, Pilate, you've got us. We admit we have no political case against Jesus. We admit he's not a revolutionary. He's not an insurgent. Okay, you can let him go. You can do it without giving us a public dressing down for trying to have an innocent man executed. Release him as a gesture of goodwill and we'll call it quits. But the Jewish leaders reject the offer from Pilate. They ask for Barabbas instead. And the irony is, Barabbas really is a revolutionary. Verse 40 tells us he has taken part in an uprising. The irony is that Jewish leaders are trying to convince Pilate that Jesus is a threat, while at the same time asking Pilate to release Barabbas, who is an actual threat. He has shown it. That's why he's already in a Roman jail. The Jewish leaders show that truth is not something they're interested in. Because truth is not convenient for them. Truth would disrupt their own personal agenda. Truth would get in the way of their plans. They don't want to admit Jesus is no threat. They don't want that truth. And at a deeper level, they don't want the truth Jesus testifies to. The truth that even though they're very religious and very concerned about their purity, they are defying God. And they're under God's condemnation for their defiance of Him. Instead of accepting the truth, they would rather crucify Jesus who testifies to the truth. 
and in parts of the world today. There are those who choose to imprison or even kill those who testify to the same truth. But in our society, it's not like that, is it? It's different. In our society, there are many people like Pilate. People who have no particular personal agenda against Jesus, but they turn away from the truth he offers. They refuse to believe he could set them free from the futility of life without God. They refuse to believe he could lead them into the reality they were created for. Maybe that describes you. Maybe you wouldn't say that you have an agenda against Jesus. You wouldn't say you're an opponent of Jesus. But you don't want the truth and the salvation he's offering. Please realize that ultimately makes you an opponent of Jesus. We'll see that when we follow on with this next time in John's Gospel. Pilate has nothing personally against Jesus. But in the end, Pilate is just as guilty for Jesus' death as the Jewish leaders and the crowd are. Pilate sends Jesus to the cross for the sake of an easy life. The one who signed off on Jesus' crucifixion was not a member of the angry crowd. He wasn't someone who'd plotted for years to bring Jesus down. No, he was someone willing to deny the truth so he could get on with his career. That is who sent Jesus to the cross. So please don't rest easy about this just because you're not an angry opponent of Jesus. If you turn away from the truth Jesus reveals, you are just as guilty as Pilate. Don't rest easy in your unbelief. Come to Jesus and let him show you reality. Come to him and receive the truth. Come and receive the salvation Jesus paid for on the cross. Our last song invites us to see him in Jerusalem. To see the truth about him. And as Christians, our last song reminds us of the truth we testify to as the church of Jesus Christ. So let's join in singing this to his praise.
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen.